My name is Sean McCann. I'm conducting some uh, uh, expert interviews for the European Haematology Association at the annual meeting of the American Society of Haematology, which this year is in Orlando in Florida. And with me, I have David Kurtz. You're very welcome. Thank you for coming along. Good to meet you. Thank you uh, for having me. Not at all. David is an instructor uh, in the Division of Oncology and Haematology at Stanford University in California which is in the US of A, obviously. It sure is. Um, and he studies and is an expert on circulating tumor DNA. And first of all, as I said to you before, I think it's a minority sport. <laughs> Not too many people know too much about it. And I'm going to say something quite provocative to start with. I went to a meeting about 25 years ago okay. when they were talking about circulating DNA yeah. for tumors. Mm -hmm. So. Are we, are, we any better? Are, we, are we there yet, as the kids say? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think we're getting there. Okay. Uh, I think we can say that we've made a lot of improvement over the last uh, decade or two. Um, so this has been an active area of, of research over the last, really, as you say, uh, 25 years. Part of the field of liquid biopsies, trying to develop technologies to track malignancies, including blood cancers, uh, non-invasively from the blood plasma. And over the last five to 10 years, I think that the technology has come a long way with the advent of a lot of the newer next generation sequencing approaches um, and a lot of methods to detect lower and lower levels of, of disease burden. Um, and I think that technologically we're there, I think we have a ways to go in terms of standardization right. and trying to apply this technology to patients in the clinic. Obviously, the idea of a venous blood sample is very attractive to most people, rather than a very expensive or, or, or inv uh, invasive investigation. Are there any particular tumors that you think would be the most productive in terms of your research? Yes, I think that I think there are. So, uh, circulating tumor DNA, just for the uninitiated, yes, um, yes. is really a small fraction of the total cell-free DNA. So, if you take uh, a blood draw from you or from me. Uh, and spin the blood draw down and take only the plasma, and you can isolate DNA from this. And there's a, a low amount of DNA in that blood plasma sample, maybe a 5,000 or 10,000 cells worth per milliliter. Circulating tumor DNA is a small fraction of that small amount of, of DNA. And one of the things that we found is that detecting these tumor-derived molecules through somatic mutations, mutations that define the patient's malignancy, uh, depends on the number of mutations that you can track. So my research has primarily been uh, looking at circul circulating tumor DNA in B-cell non-Hodgkin lymphomas, which, uh, as you may know, um, has a number of mutations uh, in it due to the ongoing somatic hypermutation uh, that drives our uh, immunoglobulin uh, and antibody diversity. So in particular, B-cell lymphomas uh, are a very attractive source, a very attractive disease, uh, to uh, detect and track using circulating tumor DNA. Okay, let, let's just talk about um, NHL then for a minute or two. What about clonal evolution with these tumors? I mean, do things, things obviously change over time? Is that a problem for you? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it depends on the disease. So our very aggressive malignancies, which most of my research has been in, uh, diffuse large B-cell lymphoma and uh, primary mediastinal B-cell lymphoma, when we look over time in patients that have uh, disease um, and then have their disease treated and go away in the circulating tumor DNA, and then their disease reemerge, it tends to really be an almost identical clone in terms of the mutational profile. That's reassuring. And this, <laughs> and this, and this, yeah, so, so there can be resistance mutations. Maybe if you get ibrutinib, maybe you would develop a uh, mutation in BTK. 
but the other hundreds of mutations that we see are all the same. Okay. I think that is not necessarily the case in low-grade lymphomas, such as follicular lymphoma, potentially CLL and SLL, where the disease has more time to, to evolve and, and, and develop these new mutations. Right. And so I think that is an active area of ongoing research. And so it's a matter of, in my mind, I'll look at it as a glass half full, where <laughs> it's a matter of what can we learn and how can we use the circulating tumor DNA okay. as an opportunity rather than a, a detriment. Right. So are you at the stage now where you're ahead of the sort of classical way of diagnosing these diseases yeah. or not? Yeah, so, so I, think, I think in some, in some uh, senses, yes, and in some senses, no. So I think the screening question is very hard. Uh, a, number of, a, a number of companies are uh, tackling this, uh, trying to screen patients for undiagnosed uh, cancers, uh, primarily more in solid tumors, uh, but some work in, in, uh, in blood cancers as well. Um, I think where we have a potential advantage is in looking for patients at their response to therapy. Um, so I think that we have some data that was published in uh, Journal of Clinical Oncology that suggests that circulating tumor DNA may be a better tool than interim PET-CT scans for uh, identifying patients who are responding to therapy, uh, primarily due to the specificity of the assay, and also looking at patients who may be at risk for disease or relapse after the completion of therapy. So I, I would say some places yes, and some places there still is work to do. Right. I mean, screening is a very emotive subject, and mo most people don't know what it means anyway. Yeah. But let's, so I, I'm not sure we want to go down that road. But let's say you're, looking, you're following a patient who's been treated. Yes. I mean, what sort of intervals are we talking about now? Yes. So uh, I, I think what we've seen in terms of a patient who's been treated who's in a remission, what we've seen in lymphomas, as well as lung cancers and breast cancers, is that we can get somewhere between a five and a 10-month lead time over the uh, clinical or radiographic reemergence of a disease. So a patient who has no disease on their PET-CT scan, and we are tracking their circulating tumor DNA, let's say at every three-month interval, we will see that circulating tumor DNA turn positive. Uh, somewhere between five to ten months before their eventual clinical relapse. Okay. So I think that interval can t can tell us where we, how frequently we should potentially be be doing this test. And somewhere between a three month or a six month interval, um, I think uh, we would potentially be able to catch patients who are having the disease relapse earlier. Right. Any potential ethical problems in that? <laughs> yeah. So 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 I think that this is this is one of the big questions about translating this assay into the, into the clinic is, is what do you do about finding this molecular evidence of disease, which we as scientists believe means relapse every time, but these Not are- Not necessarily. You know, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> these are studies that have only been done in, in low numbers of hundreds of patients. Yeah. So, so is it ethical to, to detect disease and then not intervene on that patient at that time? Um, I think that's one question is what do you do about the reemergence of this circulating tumor DNA? And that's where we need the clinical studies, I think, to really, to really drive um, how we can improve outcomes with, with this technology. Okay. Let's just go back again to the tumor types because you yeah. mentioned um, obviously non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, yes. but there must be other tumor types. Mean, is there a commonality in type or where they are or you yes. know, what, what makes them shed tumor yes. DNA? So, so, we, so we found a number, a number of things that, have, that drive the concentration of circulating tumor DNA in the blood plasma. So certainly the compartment uh, of, of disease um, can determine the concentration of circulating tumor DNA in the blood plasma. So as it turns out, hematologic malignancies, because the cancer is right there in the blood, 
are a pretty good, are a pretty good uh, group of diseases to track circulating tumor DNA. In contrast, uh, circulating tumor DNA levels in colon cancers and in lung cancers are quite a bit lower. Um, and in particular, some diseases such as pancreatic cancer and prostate cancer, which have this dense stroma and poor vascularity, um, are very challenging to, to use circulating tumor DNA to, to detect or monitor patients' disease. So I do think that this is not, I think we can apply this technology to a lot of cancers, but may not be the ultimate solution for, for every cancer. Right. It's unfortunately not the, not the panacea <laughs> for, for every disease, but maybe for a few select ones. No, nothing ever is, okay. Yes. Okay, so let's talk about the technology. I mean, how difficult is that and what precisely do you do? Yes, so, so I work on a technology called CAPSeq, or Cancer Personalized Profiling by Deep Sequencing. And this is a, essentially, it's a lot, lot of big words, but it is essentially a targeted hybrid capture sequencing approach uh, where we capture a small fraction of the entire human genome. So if the whole human genome is three billion base pairs, we capture about one ten thousandth or 300,000 base pairs, where in particular non-Hodgkin lymphomas are recurrently mutated. And we sequence that to ultra-high molecular depth. So for every, let's say, BCL2 molecule, which is frequently mutated or translocated in lymphomas, we will sequence 10,000 or 20,000 copies of BCL2, trying to find a very low level one, two, five molecules of those 10,000 that contain the mutations of interest. Right. So uh, this is pretty challenging. This is pretty um, high tech stuff. So as you can imagine, there's a lot of error in next generation sequencing even, even today. Um, and so we apply a lot of bioinformatic frameworks, a lot of molecular biology frameworks to move the level uh, of noise uh, lower so that we can detect lower and lower levels of, of disease. Okay, so this is not applicable to diagnostic laboratories yet anyway, is this? Yeah, so, so there are companies who are doing this, al who are doing this already more in solid tumors uh, oh, yeah. than in, uh, than in uh, liquid tumors. Um, but it's similar to the, to the technology that Garden360 uh, has, and they have an assay primarily, again, for solid tumors. Um, Foundation, uh, which is one of the target next generation sequencing companies for tumors, of course, have a uh, cell-free DNA assay as well. And Roche has also gotten in the, in the game as well. Um, and they're reporting their experience in the research setting yes. um, in non-Hodgkin lymphoma using a very similar approach uh, to our own. And I think that in the next, um, I would say in the next one or two years, you're going to okay. start seeing these assays become available, uh, become available for, for maybe not for routine clinical use, but as integrated biomarkers into clinical trials. Okay. Um, I came across the word beaming. Mm. Can, you, can you tell me what that means yeah. in English? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I actually can't remember the acronym for it, but I can tell you what it is. <laughs> okay. so, so circulating tumor DNA, um, there's many ways to skin a cat, as it, as, as, as it were. So circulating tumor DNA, as I mentioned, is just detection of this small fraction of tumor-derived DNA that has somatic mutations in the blood plasma. So you can do that by next-generation sequencing. That's what we do. But you also can do it by PCR-based approaches. Yes. And so beaming is a, a, essentially a digital PCR-based approach. Many people are familiar with quantitative PCR, where yes. we try to use fluorescence to enumerate the number of DNA molecules of a, a target of interest. Uh, beaming and, and digital droplet PCR are essentially... Um, are essentially um, more sensitive versions of that same assay where we can try to partition 
put each DNA molecule into a droplet or onto a bead, do PCR on that DNA molecule, and then have thousands of copies of each DNA molecule and enumerate how many are positive for our mutation of right. interest um, using fluorescence. So long story short, I would call it an ultra-sensitive quantitative PCR method. Right, right. So it's a ratio of the specific mutation versus the background noise. Correct, it? correct. Okay. Now with, with beaming or with digital droplet PCR, um, you can only evaluate um, a, a few alleles at a given time. So these are really useful methodologies when your cancer is defined by a specific mutation. Yes. You can think of, for example, hairy cell leukemia, v BRAF V600E, every time they have it. Uh, Waldenstrom's macroglobulinemia, MyD88 mutation, every time. So these approaches are, are actually fantastic. They're, they're, yeah. they're cost-effective, they are sensitive, um, and because you know exactly what mutation you're looking for, they work great. But they're rare diseases. But they're rare diseases, exactly. <laughs> so a disease like non-Hodgkin lymphoma, yeah. which has a lot of mutations, but they aren't always the same mutation. Not every case will have that MyD88 mutation. Not every case will have that, um, that CREBP mutation. So you need to look at, uh, in those scenarios, a broader panel um, to, to, to find mutations to track in every case. Okay. It's a matter of applying the right technology to the right disease. So you would take the tumor cells from the biopsy or whatever initially and look and then track that. Am I on the right track? Yeah, yeah. So, so, so that's, what, that's the technology that we were doing, I would say, three or four years ago. Yeah. So starting with sequencing a tumor sample, uh, identifying the disease-defining mutations, and then going to a blood plasma sample and tracking those same mutations over time. What we found, in particular in non-Hodgkin lymphoma, is that the burden of tumor-derived mutations in the blood plasma prior to therapy is so high that you actually can just sequence the pretreatment plasma. Right. So, um, for example, for an average patient with diffuse large B-cell lymphoma, almost 5% of all the DNA molecules in the blood plasma prior to therapy will be tumor-derived. Right. For example, in a limited-stage lung, limited lung cancer, that may only be 0.5%, a full okay. tenfold lower. So today, uh, my lab currently, for the most part, if you can give us a tumor sample, great, we'll use it. But you don't but always you, have that. Well, we don't always have that, yeah. you always have that luxury, and so we will just sequence the pretreatment plasma and identify the mutations just right off that blood plasma And that's your sample. baseline. Exactly, okay. that's our baseline. Right. And then we use that to then track the mutations over time. Okay. Um, and we can, we can do pretty well. I think we can identify disease quite frequently um, when the PET scan is negative. Um, although uh, there are many patients who we have where uh, the, the circulating tumor DNA test is negative and they still eventually relapse. Yeah, yeah. So technolo technological improvements are still relevant and still important yeah. uh, moving forward. Uh, I'll put a shameless plug in for an abstract I'm presenting tomorrow morning <laughs> okay. uh, where, uh, where we'll talk about a technology improvement that we think we can get another log fold lower right. to get us down to the order of uh, parts per million for detection okay. of ctDNA. So it's a bit like measure or minimal residual disease. Absolutely. Which is, a, uh, again, a highly controversial area. Absolutely. I think this is a, a great analogy for, mm. for circulating tumor DNA. In CML, we have you know, BCR-able transcripts. Mm. We can use that from cells and track uh, track MRD, CLL, you can use flow cytometry. In the case of uh, non-Hodgkin lymphomas, unfortunately, our disease does not circulate. Mm -hmm. So how can, we, how can we track minimal residual disease? And I think this plasma-derived circulating tumor DNA might, might just be, be the, the thing for, for us. Okay, listen, thank you very much indeed for sharing your thoughts with us. Yeah. And for your young investigators out there, as David said, there's still a little bit of work to be done 
before this becomes really a useful and uh, obviously predictive assay, but very attractive if it can be done on a plasma sample. Thank you.